Hey, bubs, welcome back to a brand new episode of Talkin' Snicked, the best podcast there is at what it does, and what it does best is tell you about Wolverine. I'm your host, Ryan. In today's episode, we are continuing our October theme of Healing Factor. Last week, we looked at the Civil War tie-in that saw Wolverine come back from the brink of certain death with only a single living cell remaining that regenerated his entire body. This time, we are going to watch as he fights off an alien infection as he takes on the Brood in the classic Claremont story, The Brood Saga. So, Bubs, just like last week when I mentioned uh, that we weren't going to do the full storyline, we were just really going to focus on the one issue and then kind of talk about the storyline, that's actually what we're doing today. I'm not taking you through the full, what, seven-issue or five-issue brood saga proper. I'm really just taking you through one particular issue that has to deal with Wolverine intimately and then just kind of recapping the rest of the saga for you. Most of you are already Wolverine and X-Men fans, and so this is a storyline that you are all probably very familiar with. But for those of you who are not familiar with the Brood, the Brood are an insectoid race of aliens. So uh, the, the issue specifically that we're talking about is Uncanny X-Men 162 from October 10th, 1982. That's the publication date, so it came out a few months before that. Written by Chris Claremont, art from the incomparable Dave Cockrum, inks from Bob Vajacek, colors, Glynis Ween, and letters from, oh wow, I didn't write it down. Uh, let's see, 1982. I'm going to say Tom Orzachowski. Let me confirm. Yeah, yeah, letters from Tom Orzachowski. It's a safe bet that if it's any X-Men comic prior to like 1990, uh, and even half of the ones after that, <laughs> uh, letters are from Tom Orzachowski. Uh, so that is the creative team behind this particular issue, and I believe it's the, the creative team that stays on throughout the entire Brood Saga. The Brood Saga itself goes from like 162 through 167, I think. Uh, might be 166, I'm pretty sure it's 167. And the storyline itself features these insectoid aliens who had only been introduced in the pages of X-Men 155 so only about seven issues prior to this coming out they were introduced as you know generic hench aliens for deathbird uh, deathbird being the sister of the current empress of the shiar empire empress lalandra who had taken over rule from her brother the mad emperor deken all the way back in the pages of the original uh, starjammer saga or colloquially referred to as the phoenix saga uh so deathbird is her sister and she has a plan to depose lalandra and take over rule of the empire herself and so of course she needs to hire like mercenaries and other things like that and she hires uh, this group of you know insectoid aliens who are known for being you know these vicious predators and these fierce warriors called the brood and eventually we get to see an entire saga featuring them. And that only happens just a couple issues after the whole story with Deathbird. So 162 was kind of confusing when I was going back through my reread because I couldn't remember exactly what happened and what was going on because uh, it's been a few years since I've read this storyline. So I jumped back in with like Uncanny 155 and read from there because I did a quick search and I was like, when did they appear again? Oh, yeah, it was 155. So I started from there. And I read on, and when I got to 162, the story here starts like halfway through 
a particular day. And it's a Wolverine-centric story, and it starts with Wolverine, you know, in the middle of this adventure. And I'm like, wait, hold on, did I miss issues? Were there tie-ins that I forgot about here? Uh, but luckily he does, about halfway through the issue, go through and fill in the gaps. I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Uh, but the Brood themselves, like I said, they are an insectoid race of space aliens. They have Some of them have wings. They've got, you know, razor-sharp teeth. It's kind of hard to describe. They look sort of like, I don't know, ant spiders, I guess. But uh, they have like four or six legs that are like tentacle-like. And then they have like a, a stinger for a tail. But it's a double stinger. So it kind of like it branches off into two stings at the bottom of it. They're fun bad guys. I'm a big fan of the Brood. Obviously, they were uh, inspired in part by the Xenomorphs from Ridley Scott's Alien, which came out. Uh, about three years before this was published. That came out in uh, 1979, if I recall correctly. Uh, I wasn't alive then. i just pretty sure that it came out in 1979. Uh, and so this storyline came, story came out a couple years after that. So they were inspired in part by uh, the Xenomorphs from Alien in that they are a race who reproduces by laying eggs inside of a host. So the way that it works is the, the brood themselves lay an egg inside of a host, you know, usually a bipedal species of alien or, you know, that's humanoid. It lays it in their abdomen. Eventually the egg hatches and releases like this psychic energy. That energy then like takes control of the mind of the body that it's in and then like transforms that body into the brood. So they kind of lack their own bodies. You know, they, they lack the biology to kind of create their own bodies. And so they have to take these bodies as resources from, you know, unfortunately other living creatures. And then they are able to then take that mass and transform it into their own body. So they're kind of weird, you know, no face huggers or anything like that going on. Uh, but it's, it's a little weird. They, as a race, have like a telepathic hive mind. Uh, it kind of operates similar to like an ant colony or even a bee colony where there is the queen mother and she is the one that lays all the eggs. Then there's the workers and there's the fighters, you know, the worker bees or the worker drones. And then there's the fighting class as well. Uh, and then there are also like the firstborn, which is like the elite of the warriors and all of these various not necessarily colonies, but all of these various groups of brood that are led by queen mothers are all part of a hierarchy that actually answers to like the brood empress back on the brood homeworld. So they have a homeworld, they go and they colonize space, they reproduce by finding new species that they can, for lack of a better word, enslave by transforming them into their own kind. They're cool, they're usually drawn like super greeny, brownish, uh, really sharp, pointy teeth. I'm a big fan of the brood. Uh, they are the, an adaptation of the brood is loosely featured in an episode of X-Men, the animated series called love is vain, uh, where they're referred to as the colony. They're more like reptilian than insectoid. And they use, they don't really have their own tentacles. Like they use these suits that kind of have tentacles and it's a little bit different. They infect people with spores and then the spores transform the hosts into members of the colony rather than like, you know, uh, impaling them through the abdomen and laying an egg inside of them which then hatches causing terrible pain 
to the host body until the host body is taken over and transformed into a brood. Uh, so, it's, you know, thanks to better standards and practices, it was uh, cut back quite a bit, but still interesting to see. Uh, the Japanese intro to X-Men the Animated Series actually features a brood but that actually looks like the comic book brood. So that's always fun. I don't know if you uh, have ever gone and looked at the Japanese uh, opening sequence for X-Men the Animated Series, but it's pretty intense. And there's some there's some brood in that, which was interesting since the brood proper like never made it into the show. So that's kind of a background on the brood. I think now we can jump into uh, our particular issue here and then just kind of go over and follow the remaining bits of the story. So Uncanny X-Men 162 starts off, it's beyond the farthest star. It always makes me think of Beyond the Gray Skies from 311. Uh, just there's a lyric in there that's beyond the furthest star. So it always, <laughs> every time I read this, I like hear the beat and everything. And then I'm all laid back. And then I jump into this like really intense Wolverine issue and I'm thrown for a loop. Uh, real quick before we start the issue, a lot of the writing in this particular issue reminds me a lot of the Wolverine miniseries, um, also from 1982, by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. Uh, a lot of people feel that the series, the miniseries, Wolverine Volume 1, was like ghostwritten mostly by Frank Miller, and that Chris Claremont was only there as like a guiding force, and Frank Miller did the artwork and then did a lot of the writing of it himself, or at least a lot of the dialogue, which I think is... Uh, it's a it's a possibility and it's a fair assessment based on you know other Frank Miller writings the the way that Wolverine speaks in Wolverine Volume One is is very similar to that so I can see where where people are thinking that but if you read you know a lot of Wolverine Volume Two the early issues where Claremont was was writing he has a particular voice for the character and that's the voice that you see in the miniseries that's the voice that we have in these, in, in this particular issue of this story, uh, it's like a science fiction adventure. You know, it's Wolverine on a strange planet fighting against these weird aliens. And yet Claremont approaches the narration of this story, the dialogue of this story, which is a Wolverine driven issue, uh, very much the same way he approached the miniseries and the ongoing. Uh, he really brings this like crime noir feel to this particular story and uh you'd think that it wouldn't match up with like this weird sci-fi kind of deal but it works really well uh for the character and for this particular story i would love to see a mashup of like these genres like sci-fi and crime noir like imagine a star trek episode where you know an away team is sent down to this weird planet and there's this weird thing going on and instead of you know all the scientific gobbledygook that you usually get in those particular shows it's told from the perspective of like one of the red shirts uh who is like you know it's this noir story where it's like we crash landed on the planet i woke up obviously time has gone by because you know i've got stubble on my chin every crew member is missing and it's like how he tracks the rest of the crew down and it's all done in like this really noir tone <laughs> but you know instead of fedora wearing tommy gun shooting mindless gangsters you're fighting against these weird hive-minded aliens instead of the hard-boiled detective you've got this like red shirt you know with a phaser and all that it, like that would be 
fun and interesting. I, I'd watch like an entire like movie series <laughs> of like sci-fi crime noir. I don't know. That would just be cool. Uh, but that's that's what I get here. It starts off, you know, the typical opening of a Claremont story, especially one featuring Wolverine where it's, you know, I'm Wolverine. I'm a long way from home and I think I'm dying. And there's always got to be that hook right away. Uh, but he's got to introduce himself. You know, he talks about, you know, like that's that's good news to some because, you know, most people see this berserker psycho killer. And, but that's not true. There's a lot more to me than meets the eye. I'm Canadian. I'm ex-Secret Service. I'm a mutant. I'm an X-Man. I'm a warrior and all this. And as he's narrating this, he's standing on a, you know, splash page in an alien landscape. There's all kinds of weird creatures flying in the air. The ground looks different. The plants and all that. The flora and fauna is definitely very strange. Something that you'd find on the planet Namek, only it's got blue sky and green grass instead of, you know, green sky and blue grass. Uh, but he's standing there in, in this costume that's somewhat unrecognizable. And the costume itself is in tatters. You know, it's just pretty much topless Wolverine with his gloves on and everything. His costume is hanging off of his arms and legs and stuff. And as he's walking, he's hit with this sudden pain in his abdomen. Uh, and he says that it's, he's been having this pain and again and again, and each time it's worse, each time it feels like he's being gutted by a white hot blade. So if it were me, I would probably be asking him if his water is broken because his contractions are right on top of each other. Uh, but obviously, uh, Wolverine doesn't really quite think twice about it. He's just like, oh, it hurts. Anyway, I'm back and I'm fine again. So he's walking through <laughs> this like this weird alien landscape. He's getting attacked by the plants that are there. He's getting attacked by the flying creatures that look kind of like weird boomerang fish. It's it's fun. It, you know, Chris Claremont really put some good stuff in here for Cockrum to draw. And it's like, hey, man, go crazy. We uh, last time we did the space stuff, you did a really good job with it all, and uh, let's uh, let's do some more. Uh, so he just kind of has all these weird, interesting things, and one of the plants that grabs him releases these spores into his face, and he begins to uh, hallucinate. It's a a hallucinogenic pollen, and unfortunately, Wolverine can't resist its effects, and so we are taken to the beautiful land of Japan as Cowboy Wolverine rides horseback with lovely Lady Mariko in the countryside of Japan. There's a mountain, you know, a snow-capped, cloud-enshrouded, you know, single mountain in the back. It's reminiscent of, like, Mount Fuji, uh, if you're familiar with, like, any kind of pictures of how beautiful Japan is. That's always one, one of the ones that pops up, you know, Mount Fuji. So uh, picture Mount Fuji with, like, a little lake in front of it, and there is, you know, Cowboy Wolverine and uh, Lady Mariko riding horseback and Wolverine is just saying you know uh, he's he's in Japan his second home he's wondering if it's real or if it's fantasy you know what I'm resisting the temptation to make a queen joke here uh, so he is speaking to her in in Japan uh, Japanese and he's saying like you know it, it still shocks me today that uh, how different we are and yet how how we're just this mismatched pair and yet how perfectly we fit together and you know, she says, you know, you, well, it's, you know, what, what isn't to fit? You're an honorable man with the soul and inner grace of a true samurai. Like what more could a woman like me want in a man? And, you know, Wolverine just is overtaken with emotion. Not really, but he, you know, gives her a, gives her a nice peck there. And, uh, they, they share a little, 
tender moment and then suddenly there's this sound right so wolverine turns around and looks off into the distance and he sees these these shapes that appear to be giant eagles flying towards them and he's like look eagles heading our way uh and he kind of mentions that they're they're really big and something doesn't quite feel right and it's not that he doesn't have the one ring or anything like that it's they're just he senses that they're it doesn't necessarily it doesn't seem it's nothing is as it seems right so he like smacks mariko's horse on the behind to get it kind of running off and she's like wolverine what are you doing and he's like get out of here ride you know i'll explain when i get back Uh, but before she can escape the eagles themselves are just revealed to be flying brood elite soldiers and of course their phasers are not set to stun they zap mariko and like that's enough to wake logan out of his hallucination and he's just he's back on this weird alien planet he's come to from the hallucination but unfortunately for him he is in fact being attacked by three of these elite brood warriors he tries to make a break for it he you know dodges a blast here kind of runs up a wall there he's able to jump into one of them uh, and as he does so he's kind of narrating you know just how vicious of foes these are you know the slezoids the brood are fast and strong as agile on the ground as in the air we do get to see some of their agility as wolverines you know running and jumping and doing all that stuff they're they're keeping up with them as he runs through like this i guess forest and then he kind of gives a breakdown of like just how powerful they are as warriors you know their skin is virtual armor plate their teeth are razor sharp and their tail stingers are loaded with venom killing comes natural to them and they've refined it to an art no deadlier beings exist in the universe and he says you know except maybe me because he's always got to throw out there that he's the best there is at what he does and what he does best is killing lots of folks including alien sleazoids so he kills one he you know slices the other but before he can really continue to stand his ground and fight off the rest of them there's only like three to begin with the ground beneath him collapses and he just like falls down 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 until he's caught in this large spider web and he hits this web so hard that it like knocks him unconscious and when he comes to he sees the landscape as do we it's actually like this double page spread and it's just this huge picture of what appears to be like a giant manta ray whale fish kind of deal Uh, that's like flattened out you can tell this thing's been dead for centuries it's rotted away parts of its parts of its ribs are visible and upon closer inspection this giant web that wolverine is trapped inside is in between two of its like fin head fin bones uh, which is a very very small part of this creature it's you know this very little teeny tiny part and as you look at the this this body of this dead whale fish thing you see all these metallic spheres and things sticking up here and there and inside these you know silvery metallic spheres are the outlines of like large buildings and structures so it just kind of gives you an idea that this creature is massive it's like a maybe a the size of a state you know or the size of like alaska right like half the continental united states like this thing is huge it's so big that like you can't even see the back of this creature that's how gigantic it is and wolverine himself kind of 
uh, gives a really great description. You know, in the jungle at night, I never got a decent look at where I was. Dawn changes that, and the sight takes my breath away. A skeleton, stretching farther than the eye can see, well over the horizon, its ribs reaching above the breathable planetary atmosphere. You could even see, like, where the clouds start and, like, where the atmosphere is uh, in this picture. It's just, it's massive. Like, it's massive. Uh, And then he kind of explains what it is. Because at this point, I don't believe we had learned about the broods living starships yet. We don't really learn about that until this <laughs> this particular saga. So uh, Wolverine just kind of fills us in. You know, this had been one of the broods living starships, a sentient being, enslaved, lobotomized, consumed by these winged parasites. It had died, blah, blah, blah. And he goes on to say it would take eons for the whole entire thing to decompose, like lifetimes, eternity even. And it wouldn't be long enough for this thing to fully decompose. That's how massive it is on this particular planet. So then we cut back to the brood, and the brood are looking down. They see Wolverine in the web way far down below, and they're like, well, we're not going down there because there are creatures worse than us down there, uh, and you know, if if we go down there, they'll probably kill us. So we at least see that like the brood have some intelligence, and yeah, even though they are a hive mind, they're given like the autonomy to make decisions or at least to rationalize certain parts of their various directives uh, to you know keep them in line with the overall brood mind which is like don't sacrifice yourself for something useless like seeing if someone is dead Uh, so they don't they all leave wolverine's kind of sitting there in this web thinking like well what the heck i'm stuck in this web it's it's terrible i can't get out but you know i'm i'm starting to feel small vibrations so i guess that means that the uh Whatever creature spun this web is going to come get me. And as Wolverine's sitting there having all of these, you know, happy, positive thoughts, um, he's hit with another contraction, right? So he grabs his stomach. Oh, it hurts so badly. Drive through the red light, honey. We need to get to the hospital now. These contractions are on top of each other. Uh, that's not how it happened. So then he now he finally lets us know how he got in this precarious predicament in the first place. He says, I blink. And the web becomes a starship Zri Shar, personal yacht of Lilandra, Empress of the Shi'ar. And so we find out, you know, after the X-Men had prevented Deathbird and her, like, handful of brood warriors that she had hired to depose them, they were invited by the Empress Lilandra onto her yacht. It was like this bittersweet reunion and she kind of tells them like yeah i'm gonna go back to the stars and finally be the empress to my people that they need me to be i've kind of been off on my own like learning about the empire and learning about the cosmos and and what have you since i kind of took over but you know now i'm i've got to go back so it was good to see you x-men but we'll probably never see each other again and while they're having this fun little victory suddenly Deathbird appears again and she's like ha 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 I've set a trap for you and like that's pretty much it like this this trap was like a stasis bomb and the next thing Wolverine knows he awakens in what appears to be an alien ship which it is uh, and they're surrounded by Brood the X-Men are at least Lalandra is nowhere to be found it's just the X-Men and uh, Carol Danvers who's hanging out with them at this point in the comics. So they awaken and he's like, oh, I'm starting to remember like various things. I came awake in pieces, flash of self-awareness here, and then just a bunch of 
random brood stuff. Eventually, he's kind of able to get his faculties in order. Everything clicked into focus, he says. But, you know, uh, he realized that they were prisoners of the brood. The others didn't seem to mind. The other X-Men being Cyclops, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Kitty. And then, of course, like I mentioned, Carol Danvers. Uh, and they are there, and like their friends of the Shi'ar are there. And they're like, welcome, honored heroes to the throne world of the Shi'ar. And Wolverine's kind of having you know, mixed feelings. His, his mind is telling him like, yeah, this is, this is reality. I'm here on the home world of the Shi'ar and, you know, the brood apparently are just here hanging out. Everyone's, everyone's all happy. And, uh, my clothes that were all ripped or, you know, magically put back together. We're all having a, a grand old time and this is wonderful. But his senses, his senses are telling him like, no, this is fantasy. This is not real. You're hallucinating something. You're being made to believe that this is true, but it's not. Uh, which is interesting, you know, obviously the other X-Men aren't um, able to fight this, but already we're seeing Wolverine's healing factor here compared to his other X-Men. This is like a psychic attack on the X-Men by the Brood. It's a way that they are able to have such complacent hosts. They capture people. They use their advanced psychic techniques to like lull them in this false sense of, of happiness. And they just keep them in this, you know, matrix state until their little brood embryo inside of them hatches and transform them into brood. But because Wolverine's healing factor is so powerful, is so is so strong, it's already he's already fighting the effects, even the effects of their psychic manipulation. Now obviously we know that it's not just his healing factor, it's also his weapon X training and things like that. They have a lot of psi resistors built into his mind and stuff. So his mind already just because of that is already a little bit more tolerant of, you know, psychic manipulation. But when partnered up with his healing factor, it's enough to, uh, you know, keep him keep him out of it. It's enough to tell him, uh, you might be seeing this, but it's not correct. It's not right. And so he's there to Shi'ar kind of show up and they're like, hey, blonde lady, uh, we noticed that you're not a mutant, uh, but you seem to be some sort of like a human-alien hybrid. Would you come with us so that we can examine you further? And she's like, sure. Uh, and so they're, you know, they carry her off and, and Wolverine's watching him go. He's like, wait a second. Those aren't Shi'ar. Those are brood. Uh, so like he's already, even the hallucinations themselves are like coming and going. And, but eventually he kind of falls in line. He he loses what's going on, the the psychic tampering you know, kind of overthrows him enough where he gets in line and ends up like watching his fellow x-men there's this weird thing where like lalandra is there and like next to lalandra is this beautiful really tall queen lady who has like these insect wings but she's like a, a human looking person and slowly but surely all the x-men are like walking up to her she's embracing them and they're walking away all happy not knowing what's going on so he's kind of watching as like this is the insemination part like this is where they're under the th the thrall of the brood they walk up the brood queen lays her eggs all up in them and then they walk away to live out the remaining time they have until the embryo hatches in relative uh you know matrixy peace uh, but the penultimate x-man to go up to the altar is kitty and for whatever reason kitty is able to resist she's resisting the mind stuff as well probably because you know she's chris claremont's 
she's not a Mary Sue because most of the things that she can do, she earns. Like I feel that the one thing that Chris Claremont did as he developed Kitty is he really justified everything that she did. Like she, we, he chronicled her learning her lessons and everything. She's just very precocious and just, she's just a very talented uh, character. And so, you know, obviously if there's a character who's going to be awesome, Claremont's going to make it the character that he created. So naturally, um, never mind that Nightcrawler and Colossus and especially Storm and Scott are like super strong in constitution. Uh, no one compares to Kitty's constitution and she resists a little bit. She resists until the queen like looks into her eyes and is like, let my voice soothe you. You won't be troubled anymore. Um, and then Kitty's like, no, please. And then the lady's like, don't worry. It's all, it's already done. And so Wolverine, it's his turn next. And he walks up to this this lady and before anything can happen his you know his healing factor kicks in again his mind his you know his his constitution of mind kicks in and he sees this queen lady for what she really is which is a uh, a queen mother of the brood a brood queen this is when she uh implants her embryo into wolverine's abdomen and it's that that pain finally that kind of shocks him awake again and like he's able to pop his claws and it cuts him loose from the web that he was stuck in. So his reverie has been interrupted by, you know, the pain of the memory. It brings him back into present day. You know, it brings him back into his regular time and he breaks free of the web right as these creatures are about to attack these, you know, scavenging creatures who are like, Ooh, look, easy food. Uh, and so one of them attacks Wolverine foolishly. Wolverine is able to like split the guts, you know, spill the guts of this creature and everything and like Wolverine throws him aside and you know he's severely weakened from this pain that he keeps sensing in his abdomen this pain that he keeps feeling uh but by wounding the one creature it's enough that the other creatures and the other scavengers that are about to eat him are like hey let's eat our dead friend instead because there's way more of him to go around um, and obviously this little thing over here can put up a fight so we'll just let him escape we'll eat our dead friend instead and that is enough for Wolverine to get away again you know i wasn't i wasn't badly hurt in the fight that doesn't really matter i feel lousy my moves are slow my grip weak things get worse my nerves are on fire the slightest move is agony still i push on stubborn stupid like i had mentioned earlier in the podcast that you know some people i think that it's like a pretty common belief that frank miller did in fact write a lot of uh, wolverine the miniseries that he did with chris claremont but I mean, based on the dialogue in this story, it just it reminds me of that early dialogue. It really does. Uh, like I said, it's like this noir kind of story. It's Wolverine speaking in quick, somewhat broken sentences. He's describing his physical feelings and stuff. Like this is the kind of thing that you'd get from Frank Miller's comics, like Sin City with Marv talking and all that, or even Dwight. You know, like Deadly Little Miho. She can stab you and you wouldn't feel a thing. She twists the blade. He feels it, you know, like he, they speak, I, I'm drawing a blank on a lot of the other dialogue, but it's, you know, dialogue like that where it's like forward sentences and stuff. Uh, we're getting a lot of that in this, in this book as well. The narration is really great. So then Wolverine kind of climbs out of this weird chasm that he had fallen into. He's freed himself from the spider web and he's up far enough away from these scavenging creatures, like far enough away from these scavenging creatures that he can he can rest you know like i said he's just mentioning that like things are lousy his nerves are on fire he doesn't feel good so he stops for a rest 
tries to catch his breath, let himself heal up a bit, and we get another flashback to see what was going on. So after that weird ceremony where like all of the X-Men were presented to that weird queen and then they were all taken away, Wolverine wakes up in this weird bed, uh, you know, like soaked in sweat. He's shaken. He's scared. He wakes up and he's like, I'm on the Shi'ar homeworld. It's fine. Uh, I've just, this is where I'm at. He looks out the window. No, it's not where he's at. He's thinking, oh crap. Uh, so he sneaks into the room of his fellow X-Man Storm and he wakes her up and he's like, Storm, wake up. We got trouble. You know, darling, you won't believe it. He tells her what's going on and she's like, nah, you, you've been behaving strangely ever since we got here. You know, like you're in pain. Go see a doctor. And like, that's enough for Wolverine to go, hold on. This isn't Storm. Like when I tell Storm things, she listens. Like we've developed that rapport. Like I'll follow her. I'll follow the other guy. Uh, but they've learned to, you know, I'll follow their lead, but they've learned to respect my opinions when I give them, especially when my opinions are formed because of what my senses are telling me. And so he's like, you know, these sleazoids must be affecting her. Maybe I can find another X-Men. So he goes into Kitty's room uh, and he sees her sleeping and he's like, no, I can't take Kitty with me if I have to fight these creatures or whatever, because I don't like she... I can't guarantee that she would survive. I can't guarantee her safety. So he like bends down to give her a kiss on the cheek and make a promise. Like if I get out of here and figure out what's going on, once I figure out a way to stop him, I'll come back and I'll save you. Even though he's thinking to himself, like it's a hollow promise, but then he gets the sudden urge to kill her. Suddenly an image flashed through my mind, Kitty cradled in my arms, my right hand lying below her breastbone, the staccato click of claws extending, retracting the light fading from her eyes. And he thinks to himself, like, holy crap, what's what's been done to us? Like, these are not thoughts that I should be having. Like, I'm having these weird hallucinations. I know that I'm on the brood world. I know that we're prisoners somehow. I don't quite know how I know that, but I do know it. And I shouldn't be thinking these things. So he starts sneaking around the brood throne world, the brood home world. And eventually he comes across this weird kind of, not necessarily a coliseum, but a coliseum-like structure and it it looks a lot like the like the throne room where the queen was first talking to him um, earlier and it's it's uh there's someone there that he recognizes the imperial guard fang that's the guy whose like suit he wore way back when i'm not going to go into details he's a member of the shiar imperial guard who was loyal to deathbird after like the death of diken and so when when she went rogue he went rogue with her and obviously was working along with the brood uh, for Deathbird, but for whatever reason, he's a prisoner of theirs now, and they're like surrounding him, and they're about to attack him and kill him, right? So Wolverine's like, I grinned, uh, serve the sucker right. Uh, but then he kind of realizes what's going on. He's watching as Fang's body starts to like smoke, and Fang starts to shriek, and he's pleading with them, He's begging them not to. They're laughing the whole time. And then all of a sudden he falls to the ground. His body starts to, you know, have all these weird tremors. And suddenly his body starts to transform and morph. And eventually he becomes a brood. And he's not just any worker drone brood. He is like an elite warrior brood. And like that's when Wolverine finally realizes exactly what's going on. He's like, oh, now I get it. That's what the pain was. That's what the weird queen was doing. Like we'd been infected too. Made hosts for their queen's eggs. What happened to Fang? What happened to us? 
So Wolverine finally puts the pieces together and he yells, no! Uh, and the brood turn around. They're like, oh crap, one of the X-Men, quick, get him. And that's when Wolverine escapes. So after this little memory dream, Wolverine comes to again, not necessarily fully rested, but, you know, pretty rested here. Uh, and as he's trying to figure out, you know, get his bearings and all that, he hears this weird humming. He looks down into the sky because he's like up in this tree thing. And a brood soldier is like flying by, probably on some sort of patrol, right? So Wolverine ambushes the brood. He jumps down on top of him, cuts into him, cuts over there, cuts here, cuts there, cuts off his like tail stingers and stuff so they can't really do anything but Wolverine leaves them alive enough to say you know you know take me take me where you want to go or like I'll kill you and the brood's like yeah it doesn't matter to me if I carry you around long enough you'll just become one of us you know your fate is sealed and Wolverine's like yeah well so is yours but before he can like administer the coup de gras here he has another contraction and he falls off into like a group of brood that are like down waiting for him and they're like ah wolverine how nice of you to drop in pun not intended um you know take him hunters but remember if he resists just kill him anyway and so they try we get this really great um you know splash page of wolverine fighting these like three brood fighters he says you know they do their best uh, and eventually wolverine is here and at his feet are these you know brood carcasses wolverine has won the battle uh, and right in that moment his final, like this final contraction. <laughs> I keep calling him that because I can't really think of anything else to call him. It's an egg inside of him that's hatching. It's pain in his abdomen. It's what it looks like. So he falls down. Again, agony, burning, growing within me, corrupting my body, murdering me. I've been wounded too often to count, but I've never endured anything equal to this. I hunger for oblivion, anything to take the pain away. But that release is denied me. My flesh begins to smoke. I've Probably not, I probably shouldn't read this whole page to you guys. Uh, so he falls down to the ground now, similar to the way we saw Fang. His body starts to, um, like, his skin starts to boil. We see the, like, consciousness of the brood released as this weird little, like, green face that's kind of floating over him. But he says, you know, I fight. New thoughts, sensations. They start to replace the old ones and, you know, start to reshape my body. But my adamantium skeleton can't be changed you know the the brood's power is only to change flesh you know organic compounds it can't transmute my adamantium skeleton and i'm able to use that as like a launching point for my resistance so wolverine's mind senses that the brood's mind i know it's weird uh wolverine's mind senses that the brood's mind understands that it won't be able to transmute the adamantium so wolverine starts you know, using his mind, Wolverine's mind starts to resist the brood mind and eventually his body follows suit and his body fights off the infection of the brood. I use that as an anchor, a lifeline, and make a final convulsive all or nothing effort. It's a toss up which of us screams the loudest and which of us dies. And then it says sunrise another night has passed and so wolverine's like looking off into the distance at that weird creature that had you know died where all these brood cities are and he's kind of you know making a vow speaking out loud you lose queenie i'm alive your kid isn't and he kinds of go on you know his mutant immune system saved him the egg was alien it was a parasite so naturally his body had begun to fight it as soon as he was infected and that's why it was so painful because it was this 
huge struggle and even so the egg almost killed him if it weren't for his adamantium skeleton even his vaunted healing factor may have been overcome and i think i can confirm that in the pages of all new wolverine there is a storyline where there is an alien infection an alien plague in new york and it's the combined healing factors of all new wolverine old man logan deadpool and gabby you know the honey badger or scout if you want to call her that now but i'm still calling her honey badger uh there's like a serum that's made using their blood their healing factors that stops these this alien infection and so they go off into space i think uh they're like someone from the guardians of the galaxy or whatever shows up and they're like hey you know the source of this sickness actually came from our planet so if you want to come here and like help us uh, then let's do that. And when they get there, they find out that it's like the brood. They're on this planet where like there's a brood queen and there's brood there. And eventually Gabby is taken prisoner and she's infected with a brood queen. And her body does transmute into a brood queen. And eventually her healing factor overcomes it as well after like a brief time. But she she does transmute like almost fully into a brood queen to the point where there's like her psyche and the brood queen's psyche and like in there at the same time until eventually she's able to fight it out. And I don't remember if it was her, if her healing factor was able to fight it out a hundred percent by itself, or if they were able to use some form of like serum, you know, to like help her healing factor against it. So that is, uh, that is the issue that is uncanny X-Men 162. I wanted to do like a deep dive into this specific issue because of the healing factor. Uh, the rest of the Brood Saga is great, though. Like, Wolverine does go and he does fight back. Eventually, he is able to, like, track down his X-Men and free them and from their, like, psychic torture. Uh, eventually, I, I can't remember how they beat the embryos inside. I think eventually Storm herself is, like, transmuted almost all the way into a Brood. At some point, like, a lot of the X-Men start to change. Uh, I think it's Carol Danvers. This is the story where she, like, becomes binary halfway through thanks to like the brood doing experiments on her and unlocking some weird alien stuff in her dna that's left over from her miss marvel days eventually i believe she's the one that's able to like either revert the x-men back to their human forms killing the brood side or stopping the brood embryos before um, i was going to go through like the overall story but i don't want to get into too many specifics since that's really an x-men story and not specifically a wolverine story and we already covered the healing factor part so uh but eventually the x-men are able to defeat the brood and then they come back to earth you know they come back to earth that's about the time where uh xavier thinks that his x-men are dead and so he goes and he starts the new mutants uh, eventually xavier himself is infected with like a brood queen and like the first adventure that the x-men and the new mutants have together is like stopping xavier when he's a brood queen uh there's this weird i forget who is the one that ultimately does it but they like they're able to extract xavier's consciousness from inside the brood put it in a cloned body and then like i forget what they do to the brood i guess kill it or send it back off into space or something uh and so that's how like xavier is able to walk again in like the early to mid 80s for a little while because he's put into his consciousness is put into a clone body like as the ultimate result of like this this saga this series so uh, great series if you like the brood and want to see more of wolverine's healing factor going up against the brood there's like a secondary follow-up to the brood saga where a couple of colonies of brood 
land on Earth to try to recapture the X-Men because they're like, hey, if we transmute X-Men into Brood, then like not only will we be Brood, but we'll have their like abilities. It'll be great. Uh, so that's like they eventually come to Earth to try to do that, and they do fight like the new X-Men team, which is like Wolverine and Storm and Colossus, but then like Dazzler and Longshot and Psylocke are there. Um, instead of like Nightcrawler and Kitty and Binary and Cyclops and stuff. So um, it's around the uh, Outback era. I can't remember if it's before or after. It's definitely before Psylocke gets her um, Asian body, uh, the body of Quanin. Um, so it's like before the second time they go through the Siege Perilous, but I can't remember at that point if they were already in the Outback or if they were on their way. Because I know like before they got to the Outback, they were in ireland for a little while and then they went back to the u.s for the fall of the mutants and then that's when they went through the siege prayer i don't know i i get my timeline mixed up a little bit but uh, so that's a good one that was where um sylvester is doing the art that's uncanny 234 i think is like that really cool cover of like brood wolverine um so we get to see wolverine go through like another transformation this one he transforms even further into a brood before eventually he is able to fight it back uh, fun fact that story takes place in denver colorado and particularly like the major battle of that story is at red rocks amphitheater which is a real outdoor amphitheater here in the foothills of denver uh, where they have all kinds of concerts and it's like nationally recognized high schools used to have like high uh, my high school used to have graduations and stuff there like my sister graduated from there it was cool uh so there's always concerts there. There's like a huge summer concert series and everything like that. So um, the main battle of the brood in that story actually takes place there at Red Rocks Amphitheater. And it actually looks pretty accurate. So that was pretty cool going back through that and be like, oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> Red Rocks, nice. Like I said, there's the brood in the uh, all-new Wolverine story. And there's a couple of brood stories or at least one story that features a couple brood in uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. And of course, also the brood, the mutant brood character, whose name is Brew, you know, minus the D, who is one of my favorite characters. I love that guy. So that is the brood saga in a nutshell. That is Uncanny X-Men 162 in its entirety. Wolverine's healing factor fighting off a brood infection. So, Bubs, if you uh, follow me on social media, um, a couple... Well, I guess, yeah, uh, earlier this week I had launched a poll because it's I'm kind of to the point again where working on this, I don't necessarily have the time. It's kind of feeling like work again. It's not quite as fun. I feel like I'm slogging through some of the reading that I'm doing, and I am ended up not being prepared enough for you guys, and the quality of the episodes is, is lacking. I was thinking of doing a shutdown. I did a poll to ask if you all would, would miss the show. You know, I, you... I know that there's a lot of you out there that listen, but it's like, is it one of those you're just listening because, oh, another X-Men-ish podcast, I'll just, I'll listen. Uh, or is it one that like you guys really look forward to? Is it one that you, you know, you couldn't live without? Would you miss the show if it was gone? And, uh, you know, 75% of the people that took the poll said, yeah, they'd miss the show. They really like it. Uh, had a couple of really nice comments, uh, some compliments from some, some great folks on, uh, on my Twitter. It's just let me know how much they like the show. So, I'm working on something that I could keep the show going right now. My definite plan is to obviously finish this month, three episodes this month, three again in November, skipping Thanksgiving week, three again in December, skipping Christmas week, 
Uh, and after that, I'll try to come up with a new format, something that I can continue to do to keep the show fresh, to bring you guys the Wolverine content that you crave so badly and that I love talking about rather than just stuff that I'm slogging through to fill a weekly slot. Uh, and, and it's not just that I'm getting burned out. It's not That's not quite it. Uh, I'm definitely branching out in a lot of my reading right now, and that's kind of taken away from me reading the issues that I do for this. Uh, but there's a couple other things going on. Uh, when my son, you know, when we first found out that my son had the, the severe food allergies that he does, it was a big lifestyle change for us. Uh, my wife and I are probably a little bit, <laughs> a little on the overbearing side when it comes to food allergies. Uh, but we've reached out, you know, there's a lot of people in the food allergy community that are, are parents like us that live their lives the way that we've chosen to live our lives in answer to, to his food allergies. And one of the things that my wife wanted to do, one of the things that's always been difficult to find is safe foods, but it doesn't just end there, not just safe foods, but beauty products, health products, hygiene products, something as simple as, as soap that you wouldn't expect certain allergens to be in. And then when you go and look at it, oh yeah, it contains this nut oil or whatever. And it's stuff that's, that's not safe to be in my house. It's not safe for my son to have. And it's always been a struggle to find safe foods or safe products. And one of the things that my wife had done to really to organize our lives, uh, but to help other people out there, she created a website, a, a database really called Landy's List. And it was a website that she listed off brands and products from that brand, companies that were dedicated to providing safe foods and safe products for food allergy families that are free of, you know, the top eight allergens or the top 12 allergens or that are made in facilities that are free of this stuff, stuff that we know would be safe to have in the home and safe to have around my son and things like that. And it's it's gotten to the point where she doesn't have the time to do it anymore. Uh, and so she hasn't really been keeping up with it for the last like six months. And she recently made the decision to close the website down uh, because a lot of the stuff it needs to be updated constantly. Ingredients change, facilities change. There's product recalls. You know, she was keeping up with all of that stuff and she just couldn't anymore. And she didn't want to have a website that had outdated information. If people are trying to use this website to find safe foods for their own families, uh, then it, it wouldn't be fair to them to be providing them with outdated information. So my wife, closed down her website and all that she has right now is her, her, you know, she has a social media still where, where she shares things and she stays part of the community. Um, and, and one of the reasons why, another of the reasons why I was looking to shut down talking snicked at least for a little while, if not permanently was because I really want to help her do something so that she can stay in this community. Being part of the food allergy community has meant a lot to us. And a lot of the things that we would do as a community, there's, you know, there's this thing called the FAIR Walk, which is put on by FAIR, which is, you know, food allergy research and education. 
Uh, it's you know a, a large nonprofit organization that really tries to do its best to get information out there for food allergy families like ours. Uh, but it's not something that they do here anymore. There's you know it's we're losing a lot of our resources. It feels as a community, and I I want to do something. I want to help my wife do something to keep her in that community, and that's going to take up a lot of my my other time, and that would be time that I would be devoting to talking snicked. And so I was thinking of shutting down the podcast. But <laughs> so many of you have have cried out and said, no, please don't. Uh, so I just wanted to let you all know, you know, thanks. It means so much to me that you guys listen. It means so much that this podcast means something to you. And, and I don't want to let you down. I don't want to stop it altogether. Uh, so for the rest of the year, uh, we're going to finish out October, three more in November, three more in December, and then just... I might have to take January off. I might have to take uh, some time off to come up with a new format, something that's going to work for me to let me continue to deliver high value content, like stuff that's actually fun to listen to, uh, while also uh, having time that I can I can help my wife do something. I can figure out a way for us to stay in this in this community that 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 does mean so much to us. So, Bubs, thanks for listening to the last like 10 minutes. It's probably not what you were expecting. But uh, for those of you who don't follow me on social media, I wanted to at least keep you abreast of the situation, let you know what's going on um, so that when these changes do happen, you're not completely taken by surprise. Um, at this point, I'm open to suggestions. Uh, if anyone has any ideas of a direction that Talk and Snicked can take that would work, uh, in the future, then, you know, by all means, reach out to me on Twitter at Ryan does it nerdy or via DMS, uh, always open to chatting. And of course there is the email for the show talksnicked at gmail.com T A L K S N I K T talksnicked at gmail.com. Uh, anything, you know, let me know maybe my, my Twitter pals, uh, you know, the, 15 or so of them that, that let me know what it meant. Maybe they're my only listeners. Who knows? Uh, so if you're not, if you don't follow me on Twitter, uh, but you just want to reach out, let me know. Let me know what you guys think of the show. If you like it or not, if you'd miss it or not, uh, you know, feel free to send anything to me uh, via email regarding your feelings of the show. And like I said, ideas on, on what we can do to continue uh, to have this really fun show. So uh, thanks again for listening, bubs. Make sure you check out Retcon X. He's the musician that created the song you're about to listen to and all the little, you know, music-y blurbs that you've heard in the episode. Uh, he's a musician, creates music inspired by the X-Men. So check him out. I've got links to his Spotify playlist and his website in the show notes. Until next time, bubs. <laughs>